Our Heavenly Father, we know it's early in the morning. We know that people are still coming. But we know that you have been here before anyone stepped foot into this building. We invite the Holy Spirit to be present here with us, especially the teaching element. That we may truly understand and comprehend your message. Father, may may my mind, may my conscience just be humbled. May our minds be vulnerable to the guidance of your Holy Spirit. May we apply the things which we learn, that this may not just be vain words spoken from the pulpit. Hide me in the cleft of the rock, that only you and your message may be seen. Lord, you know I need your help to be able to present this message, for it's a holy message and I'm not a holy person. So please, please help. We believe you have already answered this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are four friends, myself and three others, growing up. We were all born in the same hospital uh, within four months of each other. Both our parents, uh, from all of us, our parents come from Yugoslavia, and they immigrated. Um, I'm the youngest of three in my family. I have two older sisters. They are the youngest in their families, and they have two older sisters. Our older sisters are the same age. We, there's no chance that you could have separated us when we were kids. I remember Friday nights, we have prayer meeting at church, and we'd be like, psh, 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 psh. somehow, we don't even talk, but we got this arrangement happening, yeah? We sneak outside, and then we're in the backyard of the church, wrestling matches, you know? Just, <laughs> and then we come home, and my new church pants are just done. They're just grass stains, they're done, and mom's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to get it. <laughs> and the funny thing was, when one of us would get in trouble, the others would automatically just be like, no, no, he didn't do it. It was us. Straight up. Maybe they deserve it. But it's like, no, I'm going to get hit. Not, not, not my brother. No, not him. I'll get hit. It was me. No, it's not good to lie. But we were close. What were we? I remember once we were in the park. And uh, me, we were maybe 10, 11 years old. Maybe 12. I don't think so yet. About 11. And there's four of us little rat bags walking around, you know, trying to act tough. And then I remember there's like a 17-year-old, you know, the big kid. And there was a group of five of them. And one of our friends, one of the four, he was just like short-fused. You ever met people that are short-fused? You know, he'd be one of these guys. Ever since he was a kid, you just look at him a little different. He'd be like, what are you looking at? It's kind of real defensive about something, right? So we're walking, minding our own business. And then our friend, he, he, he spots these guys. He's like, what are you looking at? 11 years old. And this big guy walked up to him and pushed him. And us four, we were like, oh, we're not having this. <laughs> so there's this group of like 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, and a group of 11-year-olds. And here we are trying to, you know, no way you're going to be touching my brother. Mm-mm. 
We got beaten up severely that day. (laughs) However, as life went on, we fall back. Although we had this, this, um, I guess you can say, violence, which is not godly. Can I get amen? amen? We were still amongst each other. We're like, man, we really need to be better Christians. I remember even as eight years old, man, we really need to get our act on. But time went on. And us four tight brothers, three of us became backsliders. Two of us three were not hypocrites with it. I was a hypocrite. I was a backslider. But on Sabbath, I'd be pretending like I'm a faithful one. And there we were. And through life circumstances, the Lord was able to really just grab a hold of my life. Before the other two, it seems that He has not done that yet. I'm still praying, and I believe they will be in that kingdom. But he has not done that yet. People in my home church, for people who were once in the church, once in the faith and left, we consider things to be hopeless for them. I've seen it many times. I've seen it many times, unfortunately, where there will be someone who's never known God he comes into church real dirty, scruffy, and just, you know, looking for something better. And you'll get a bunch of church people just be so nice to him and try to nurture him and things like that. And we ought to be that way. Can I get him? Amen. Amen. But then summer will come in who they once knew. And somewhere along the line, they fell. They started running from God. And they come back to church. And all we hear is, oh, do you know what he did? And it's almost as though we view backsliders, missing members, as hopeless. One of my Bible heroes was a hopeless backslider. We're going to learn a little bit about him. But this is where I really, really want to focus in on. We know how to reach non-Adventists. We know how to reach non-Christians. But there is very little emphasis in how can I actually truly bring someone who knew the truth, who decided to run away from truth, back to truth. There's very little emphasis in what can I do to bring someone back who knows the truth, he knows it intellectually, but for some reason, he's departed from the faith. The Bible, in the Bible, there was the same situation. And let's see how God went about bringing this person back to the faith. You guys want to learn that? Jump with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, right after Genesis. And we're going to be talking about 
this man called Moses. What's his name? Now, if I ask you, who do you think Moses, well, pardon me, what do you think Moses looks like? What are some answers that I would get? A what? Someone said something. How many of you ever consider him to be like this really stunning, good-looking guy? Anyone? Raise your hand if you think he's good-looking. How many think kind of, you know, pretty rough, pretty beaten up, you know, hairy? <laughs> Anyone? Yeah. See, television does that. You know, you get the Ten Commandments movie, and it's just like, is this rough, rugged, you know? But check out what the Bible says. Exodus chapter 2, all right? Exodus chapter 2. And it says in verse 2, So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. How many of you are parents? Is there any parents here? I have a simple question, and I want an honest answer. When your child was born, were they beautiful? I don't believe you. In my life, I have never seen a fresh-born baby that looks beautiful. They always kind of squished and just, ugh. And it's not until like a while later that it's like, oh, it is human. You know? It's kind of like... What happened? I was talking to my friend Jed, and he was saying when they had their first child, it was like it was beautiful. And when they had a second one, he was like, Whoa, what happened? <laughs> Babies are not beautiful, and it's rare for a baby to be born that is beautiful, so rare that they've actually given it a scientific name. It's not normal for it to happen that way. But Moses, ever since he was young, was considered beautiful, or some say comely, some say handsome. It doesn't matter what translation you have, the same message is being conveyed. Moses was a good-looking chap. But something happened. And Moses' mother had to hide Moses for how long? Three months. Now, another question for you parents. If you had to keep your newborn baby quiet for three months, <laughs> how do you go about it? Seriously, you're hiding your baby for three months? I used to do a lot of babysitting. I can't keep him quiet for three minutes. There's a tribe in Africa. They do not know the emotion of crying. They don't have the emotion of crying. And the way that this happened is when they were a baby, just born, you know, from very young, the baby, as normal, would just start talking baby talk, which kind of sounds like, just, just crying. And the mother would grab its nose and block its mouth and wouldn't let air come in or out. And so she's like, and then suddenly, the baby would just pass out. The, baby, the mother would literally pass her child out. And then it'd come to, and then the baby 
you know, it's going around, and then suddenly again, and the mother does the same thing, grabs the nose, blocks the mouth, and, and it passes out. Until, not long after, the baby just doesn't cry anymore. How many of you think that's a little extreme? <laughs> All right, I did too. However, when you read the circumstances in the situation where they live, they are constantly in tribal warfare. And in, in that culture, all the men go out and they fight and all the women and children hide behind bushes. And so if they were hiding behind a bush and a baby would cry, the, 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 the enemy tribe would find them and just slaughter all of them. And so in the circumstances, I'm sure the mothers are trying to do the best that they can. How did Moses' mother do it? I don't know. I am, although, I, I'm like certain though that God's hand was in it. Because God had a plan for Moses. And then, Moses was given through, again, divine circumstances to the daughter of Pharaoh. However, God made it so that Moses' mother was able to raise him. So Moses was brought up knowing truth. Moses was brought up knowing what? And now he's in Egypt. And I want us to pick up in Exodus chapter 2. And let's start in verse 11. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. You with me? Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was what? Grown. That he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And who were his brethren there? The Hebrew people, right? He understood that they were his brothers. Because he was brought up in what? Truth. He looked at his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And check out what he did. It says, so he looked this way, he looked that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Would Moses have been brought up knowing that it's not good to kill people? Yes, and you can totally see by the scriptural language there that he was so being sneaky about it, right? He knew what he was doing is, you know, it's kind of not good to kill people. And so he looks this way, he looks that way, and he goes and does the business. I don't know about you, but I've got this thing where if I know I'm doing the right thing, I'm not trying to be sneaky about it. And I think you guys can relate. When you know you're in the right, generally it's like, hey guys, look, I'm doing something good. You know what I'm saying? You're not like, I hope no one sees me. He's my tithe. You you know, we don't do that. We're not ashamed of things that are good, right? You know why? Because the Lord is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, through our conscience, and encouraging us when we do right. But Moses was doing something wrong. What was he doing? And he knew it. He knew he was going against the God of heaven by killing a man. 
He knew it. But we keep reading on. In verse 13. Let's just read the rest of verse 12, sorry. So he killed an Egyptian and hid him where? In the sand. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold how many? Two Hebrew men were fighting. And so Moses comes to them and he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Now check this out. You know the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Yeah, take that Moses. Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? What do you mean? I looked this way and that way. I saw no one. How'd they see? And look at what Moses, this just confirms to me that he knows what he did is wrong. So Moses feared and said, surely this is known. Moses went against the will of God. He rejected what he knew to be right. And now it was revealed. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to do what? Kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian where he sat down by what? A well. This very fact is a miracle. The way Egypt, the city is set up, they have four watchtowers on all points of the city and not one single soul can walk in or leave without being seen. Yet somehow Moses was able to flee and not be seen. Who knows, maybe the Lord blinded the guards. Maybe He made Moses invisible to them. I don't know. But Moses was able to flee. Moses, instead of doing what is right, killed a man. And then Moses, instead of doing what is right, fled. You know, sometimes we mess up, yeah? When we mess up, we ought to take responsibility, handle business. Yes, I did the wrong. But Moses decided to run from God. To run from who? I was brought up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. My parents are. That message was never a part of my life. I never understood it. I never lived it. I knew I should But I just kept coming short. And then we'd get a speaker into our our, uh, um, week of prayer at school, you know, and he's just one of these passionate, yeah, give your life to God sermons. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to give my life to God. Hey, guys, I'm not going to be going out with you guys this week. It's a new Boris. And they're like, all right, cool. Next week, hey, guys, where are we going out tonight? totally oblivious, totally forgetting that I had just made a commitment to God. And then I go and live this way without God. And then, I don't know, camp meeting happens. And they get this speaker and it's like, yeah, if you're a sinner, if you've turned away from God, come to God. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm coming to God. And then that night, I'd be like, guys, where are we going out? My whole life 
I've had this thing where I know what's right. I know. I just wasn't doing it. And that led me to just not even recognize God's existence. Till I got to the point where, like Moses here, I was running from God. Over the winter, in the Christmas 2006, I went to Europe as my kind of getaway from God. Because to me, my parents were the God experience. Because they said, you go to church. And I said, okay. (laughs) I'm not about to mess with my parents. I've learned from childhood, it doesn't work. So Europe was kind of like my getaway. And I got to the point where I was just running from God and ran from God so far that I couldn't see Him. I couldn't hear Him. And I started to question the existence of an eternal God. Like Moses, I was running. What was I doing? Running. Running. We have many brothers and sisters who are running. You may have family members who are running. You may be running. God needed Moses, amen? God needs you. God needs your family. God needs your friends. It's not a want. And you'll see why. It's not a want. It's a need. God needs it. And I know people don't feel comfortable with saying God needs that because God doesn't need anything. Yeah? Well, He needs you. If He doesn't have you, He will never be fulfilled. He needs you. God needed Moses. So God does an extremely mind-boggling miracle to get him back. You want to see what he does? And from this, we can see how God's, or what God's plan is in how to redeem these people that have ran away from the faith, that are running from God. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3 where the story just flows on. Exodus chapter 3, are we there? Give me an amen if you're there. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So Moses is hooked up now. He's got marriage. Um, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of who? God. And, and this is where it gets just spectacular for me. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a what? Bush. Let's keep reading on. Because this bush is kind of a weird bush. It says, So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But what was happening to that bush? Nothing. It wasn't being consumed. So here there's this bush that's burning, but it's not burning. You get that? 
Because we, we don't know what things look like when they're burning but not burning. See, I'd be kind of tempted if there was just this kind of flame thing floating around and nothing's happening. would be like, oh, you know? Is it really? Technology's got pretty advanced. See, this is bush. It's burning, but it's not burning, and it's weird. I don't know. How many of you have ever seen a, a, a stick burn without burning? You know, it's burning, but it's not being burnt up. It's, it's just there. And Moses is like, man. Of course, he didn't have glasses. Um, but, man, I, I, wow. Huh. And then what does Moses do? Check it out. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. Friends, what got Moses' attention? Sorry? Exactly. What got his attention was that something was burning. That's what got his attention. That something was on fire. We live in a world. Actually, before I get onto that, I need to explain something for something for everyone here. How many of you have ever done a Bible study on what wood or bushes or trees symbolize in Scripture? Who knows the answer? Humanity. Humanity. See, a lot of people when they say. Oh, the tree, see, it symbolizes the cross. No, it doesn't, because the cross in itself is a symbol. And it represents humanity. And just think of quickly the symbolism of the cross. The divine God attached himself to what? Humanity. And guess what? Jesus was not held there by nails. He was held there by his love for you. Puts a bit of a more of a meaning to the cross, doesn't it? It wasn't just a death. It was an eternal attachment to you. What does wood or bushes or trees symbolize in Scripture? Friends, what catches people's attention? When they see someone on fire. I'm serious. I'll be walking down. No, I do door knocking, right? And you get cold doors. People are just like, boom, I hate you. <laughs> Next guy, for some reason, he's like, I still hate you. And it's like, okay. And then finally you got a person who opens the door. No way, come inside. Do you want water? Oh, praise God, people are out there sharing. God's been so good to me. I can't. And you're just like, man, they're on fire. Wow. You notice it. You notice it. But do you want to hear the sad reality? We live in a world where there's a bunch of people that are on fire for a week. At school, you know how I was sharing, I'd hear something, I'm like, man, yeah, I'm changing. And I went to my friends, and I heard this message, you know, guys, I'm not going to be drinking alcohol anymore. I'm not going to your parties anymore. 
And, and a friend of mine, Lewa, she said, Boris, don't lie to us, don't lie to yourself. We've heard this too many times before. Straight up. Yes, it catches your attention when you see someone on fire. But the question is, what is it that brought this backsliding, God running from God, the person who's running from God, what brought him to check out this thing? Was that he saw that that thing was burning, but not burning out. That's weird. When I see a person that's on fire for God, it gets my attention. And then two years later, they're the same. They're just like, man, God's been doing such good things. I've been so active. I can't wait to go share it. And you're like, that's weird. Cool. That's awesome. Seriously, guys, think about it. We live in a society where from the pulpit, we're going to teach that it's totally okay to have a roller coaster relationship with God. I will not once in my life support this idea that it's okay to fall away from God. Because God is life. That's like a doctor saying, it's okay to die every once in a while. You see the logic? It's stupidity. Raise your hand if you've done door-to-door ministry. I know it's old school. I love it. I'm old school. I've got these old pastor shoes that I love wearing just because they're old. They're great. And door knocking is old. No one's recently invented it. But the cool thing is, it still works. One of the biggest reasons that people don't believe in God is because of people like me. And my heart breaks every single time. I'm like, hey, my name's Boris. We're just in here doing a spiritual survey. You know, just wanting to see the spiritual condition of the community. I'm an atheist. Really? Why? Do you see what the church has done? Have you seen all the hypocrites? Why would they want to associate themselves with a bunch of hypocrites? On fire one week, don't really care the next. I know what I was like. I'm not proud to say it, but I was a hypocrite. I was an actor. And because of me, there are people today who don't believe in God. I know them personally, and I know that it's because of my life's example that that's how it's ended. Well, I don't want to say ended, but that's how it's turned. I am sick and tired of Christians being the reason people reject Christ. It's like Gandhi. He said, you know what? I would be a Christian if I ever saw one. He went further to say, I think the whole world will be Christian 
if it wasn't for the Christians. And I'm sick and tired of people being able to justifiably say this stuff. They have every right to say it. Because there were people like me. Maybe there are some here who kind of fit the description. Don't get me wrong, if you're on fire for God, you get people's attention. It's when you get to that place with God where you are on fire for God. And then something weird is happening where you're kind of burning, but you're, you're, you're not burning. It's like you're on fire, but you're on fire. You're like, what's wrong with this person? Why are they losing this passion? What's wrong with this? Man, I need to check that out. We live in a world of superficial Christianity. People who think coming to church justifies you or makes you a Christian. No one will be saved because of that seat you're in. They might be saved because that's where they heard truth, and the truth is what saved them, but not because they're in the building. We want to be successful soul winners, right? You want to be a successful soul winner? Stay on fire. I'm telling you, it's messed up. When someone's on fire, and then they're on fire, and they're on fire, and someone's out there with an extinguisher, you know, the devil's just like, shh, and then they're just like, on fire. You're like, whoa, like, wow, God, someone can just be on fire. I would catch this flame, right? And just get burnt right up. It's like that match, you know, you're like, and it's like the big thing at first. You know when you strike a match, any of you? And then it just goes, kind of fizzles out. That was like my spiritual walk. And then I went to AYC, and how many of you have heard of Randy's heat? I don't mean to lift any man up, but he is a man of God. For the first time in my life, I sat there. And I didn't realize that God is so loving. I didn't realize that if I come to Christ, I'll have peace that passes all in sin. I realized, currently, I'm in a lost condition. I need to check out whether this stuff's legit. Praise God for all of us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Lord knows I became an audioverse addict. I'm not kidding. I download like eight sermons and eight hours at work. I'd listen to sermons. I come home, download sermons, and just listen to sermons. I'm just like, man, I didn't know this stuff was so cool. And there's just this flame and it's getting bigger. And, and I'm just like, man, I've got to be sharing my faith. So I go out in the community, sharing my faith with my friends, sharing my faith. And the flame's just, just, just there. 
And I'm like, wow, Lord, it's been two weeks and I haven't fallen yet. Amen. Not amen. We should not have that mindset of yet. I always, even when I was just at my biggest passion, it'd be like, I'm going to fall one day. I'm going to abandon you again, God, one day. You know, I talk to old people, I talk to ministers, and they're like, oh, Boris, you're going to lose that flame. It's like, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> cool. Thanks for letting me know God's real. You know, you just hear testimonies. Oh, you know, it's like a roller coaster. Just got to make sure you finish the ride. What? Your ride's lame. (laughs) (laughs) And I came here to Mission College. And I'm learning so much on how to share my faith. And I'm learning so much in scriptures. And I'm actually learning, like, how to be able to defend what I believe from the Bible only. And this flame's just getting bigger. And the whole time, I'm just like, Lord, when I lose this, it's going to suck. Because I don't know how on earth I'm going to be able to come back to this point, God. Here I am in the peak of me being on fire, in the peak of me just loving God, in the peak of me just wanting to serve God in my mind. I'm just like, I'm going to fall again. I hate that feeling. At Mission College, the students, we do morning devotions um, together. We have them privately, of course, and then together. And people would share their testimonies a lot of the time. And I love testimonies. Can I get a witness? Testimonies are powerful. And all the testimonies, and I don't mean to be making fun of them, but all the testimonies are like, you know, I was brought up in the church, but then I became the world's greatest drug dealer. But now I'm back and I'm good. Or, you know, I've killed 3,462 people, but I'm saved now. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm a terrible, I was a terrible person, but you know, God got a hold of my life. And all these testimonies of how people have just fallen deep and God was able to kind of get them. And in my mind, I'm like, Lord, praise the Lord for this. But I have never heard a testimony of you actually sustaining someone for the rest of their life. All the testimonies are like, man, I've fallen, but I'm back. I'm like, yeah, but Lord, I want to hear someone say they can stay there. Because God, right now, I'm scared that I can't stay here. That feeling is lame. I know myself. I know I've given up on him before. And I'm just like, Lord, I don't want to lose this, but I think I will. I was partnered up with a lovely lady. Her name's Lindsay Longo. She's one of these homeschool girls. You know the ones I'm talking about, the long denim skirts. And always smiling and singing. And they just seem to like always love Jesus. And they're weird. (laughs) Because they're just like happy. And then you're like, oh, get sad. And they're just like, I'm happy. (laughs) Like, I'm so on fire for God. And you're like, shh, trying to hose it down. They're like, oh, I'm still on fire for God. I'm just like, man, she's so weird. We were out there on outreach. 
And we just got talking, you know, between doors. And finally, she's like, starts to complain. I'm like, wow, she's human. <laughs> and you know what? She's like, Boris, I'm hearing all these powerful testimonies how the Lord's changed someone's life. I've never had that experience. When I was eight, I accepted Christ into my life. And just since then, I've just been steadily growing in Him. Amen. And she's like, I don't have a testimony. I'm not kidding you. That testimony right there is the most powerful testimony I've heard in my life. Amen. I walked around like, grin man, you know, just like, yeah, we're doing surveys and I don't care if you don't like me. Because <laughs> guess what? It is possible for me to just be on fire and then just be on fire and then be on fire and if you don't like it, I'm going to be on fire. <laughs> With a touch of being on fire. It's doable. I want to say, and I don't say this in a proud way, all glory to God. God has sustained me for three years, which is so far my ongoing record. And I'm pretty sure, by God's grace alone, it'll last, um, I'll be on fire for about, I'm thinking, an eternity. I don't say this to lift myself up. But you may be going through this thing of where you're just like, man, God, yes, I want to get to know, I want to read your Bible, and then you just go weeks missing devotions. Maybe you're like, man, I want to serve you, and then when you get the opportunity, you just feel like skipping out. And you're sick of this yo-yo thing. You're sick of this, where you know you should be doing it, but you're not, and you're losing that flame. I want you to know that you can remain and retain and stay on fire for God. When Moses saw us weird people, that's when he said, I need to check this out. Too many Christians out there have had experiences with people who claim to be Christian, but are not Christian. And then they see something real. They're like, man, that's what I was taught, but I've never seen it. Wow. No, 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 check it out. He's still on fire. I need to check this out. I was preaching at my home church, uh, what was it now, a month ago when I went back to Australia. And I'm like, Lord, you've been transforming our church and he's been doing a great work in the Salisbury Seventh-day Adventist Church. God is moving. And I'm like, Lord, we've got our seekers that are coming in. We've got people that we're studying throughout the week who come in. But you know what? Send us a bunch of new ones. And I'm like, Lord, send me a bunch of ex-Adventists. And just send me a bunch of Christians that just don't want to be Christians. I'm like, amen. And my sermon is how to reclaim missing Adventists. And I get in church, I get on the pulpit, and then I don't see anyone new. I'm like, all right, let's pray. Open my eyes. And two full rows of just people I've never seen in my life before walk in. Wow. I'm just like, oh, Lord, <laughs> please, please help me to be able to speak. <laughs> After that sermon, you know, Facebook can be a great thing. It can be of the devil as well. Facebook, 
I, I use it a lot. It's an easy way to communicate. Every single one of the people that went there, they Facebook me. They're like, you know what? You don't know this. But I once was a Seventh-day Adventist. But my church is full of hypocrites. My church is full of people that are on fire, but not, not ever staying that way. I, in my life, it's just been this whole roller coaster rubbish. And I got sick of it. And they say, for the first time in my life, I've seen something real. To me, that's the most humbling thing. Because God knows I can't sustain myself. He knows me. I'm way too prideful to be able to sustain myself. It is God alone who sustains. But just to hear someone say, it's real. You know, when you preach, people try to come up to you, oh, that's such a lovely sermon, preacher. And you're just like, look, just if you liked it so much, tell God on your knees. The greatest compliment that I've ever received is I've never seen someone who actually believes it. Because I can tell you, I believe it through and through. To me, that was just like, well, praise God that they're, that they're seeing someone who believes it. In the letters they send me, I was an Adventist. I left the faith because of this, this, and that. Do you know a good church that I can go to where people are real? Well, it just so happens, uh, the church that you went to. <laughs> I'm not kidding. My sisters, man. My family's there. They're just taking charge. The youth are taking charge. The youth are becoming real. Our church was dead when we were leaving it up to the leaders. Because that's not their job. You want to know what the role of a pastor is? To support, mentor, teach, and evangelize. You know what your job is? To make that happen. You're meant to be laboring for your pastor. Our pastor, he used to be busy. Now he's busier. (laughs) Because all he does... He has to go to all the Bible study contacts that are generated to clear people. And he's so busy having to clear people that he can't have his own contacts because we're actually doing what we're meant to be doing. The point is this. If you want to be successful in leading souls, to Christ. And by successful, I mean faithful to God from what He's asked. You need consistent, a consistent walk, life with, fire, with God. John 15, really quick, and we're going to wrap up. John what? 15. Let's do verse 5. And it reads, 
I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, what? For without me, you can do nothing. Actually, let's just read through this really quick. And let's see if there's a common theme that Jesus is actually trying to teach us. And it's kind of important to see what Jesus is trying to teach us, don't you think? Amen. Check it out. Verse, uh, let's start in... Um, let's start in verse 5, okay? Which we just... Um, no, let's not start in verse 5. Let's start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does what? Takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? So expect trials. Expect to be cut. Expect to break down. Because he's pruning you so you can bear more fruit. Expect it. Moving on. Um, Verse 3. You already... Pardon me, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What is the word that has just been spoken? Two chapters earlier, which would be probably between half an hour to two hours ago, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The disciples recommitted their life to Christ. The disciples let Christ enter them. All right? They're in this relationship with God now. They had been made clean. They are clean. And now check out this whole theme. That Jesus is trying to say after we've been cleaned, after we've accepted Christ as our Savior. Check it out. We keep reading. What's the first word there in verse 4? Abide in me. And, uh, pardon me, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it does what? Abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you do what? Abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He who does what? Abides in me. Can do not, uh, pardon me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not do what? Abide, Abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and he is withered away. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you what? Abide, Abide in me, and my words do what? Abide. Abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be given you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my what? Disciple. What does the word abide mean? Simply put, stay. How can you stay somewhere where you're not? You know, they can't say, hey, Boris, stay in the gymnasium if I'm not already in the gymnasium. You know, I can't be in the computer lab saying, okay. It says, by this God is glorified that you bear much what? Fruit. The key to bearing fruit is to do what? Stay. Stay on fire for God. Stay in Christ. Let Him stay in you. And don't let anyone tell you, oh, well, you know, the Christian life is ups and downs. No! We're climbing a mountain that has no peak. I'm sick and tired of when people come to these kind of meetings. It's like, well, now we're going down from the mountaintop experience. No, you're not. You're still climbing. This mountain has no peak. And if we think once we get to heaven, yeah, that's the peak. You got news because in heaven, we're going to be climbing and still getting into a tighter relationship with Christ. 
If you, if you are sick and tired of your life just being a yo-yo, of your life just being, oh yeah, I'm on fire for God, and oh no, I'm not. Oh yeah, Lord. Uh, if you're sick and tired of being on that lame roller coaster and are starting to get motion sick, and you want to say, Lord. I'm done. I am sick and tired of getting turned. And just the, tie, the fire getting shut down in me. I'm sick and tired of it. I want you to be able to use me to bring people who are running from you back to you because they can see you in me. If you want to be this tree that just can't be put out. Stand with me. You know, when we lose the flame, people often say, well, you know, that's just part of the experience, you know, your ups and downs. No, that's not the experience. That's not that battle. The battle is not your fire getting put out and then you putting the fire back on. No, the battle is you being on fire and the enemy doing everything he can to turn that fire off, but for some reason it ain't going anywhere. We need to have victory in this battle. We need to have victory in this, in this that God may be glorified. Let us not be the reason that people reject our God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that this is challenging because we know ourselves. We know we've fallen in the past and there's always that fear that, you know what, Lord, it might happen again, but let us be confident in this that you are able to keep us from falling. And you do it with exceeding joy. Lord, may we get rid of self because we know self is lame. I'm lame, Lord. If it was my choice, I'd be running and falling all over myself. But because you're right there, you can help us. I pray specifically for individuals here who realize and recognize that their life has been a hindrance to your cause rather than a blessing. Father, my life was. But you're able to turn these things around. You are able to turn around this backsliding Moses who was running from you to become one of the most powerful men of God in Scripture. So I pray that you do the same thing. There's someone here running. Turn their life around so that they may be one of the most powerful people that are doing your work in the last days. We commit ourselves to you. Mind, body, soul. We, we commit it, recommit it, take it. Because God, we mess up when we take it into our own hands. So I ask and I pray and I truly believe that you hear our prayers. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name alone. Amen.